We are back for the first guest interview of 2023, and we have a really special one to kick off the new year. Today's guest is a physician and researcher, a writer and teacher at UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center. With 20 years as a pain management specialist, he is currently the founding director of the pain management department at Santa Cruz Community Health. He's also a practitioner for meditation and has been for over 30 years, also being a certified yoga teacher and meditation teacher. He currently splits his time between clinical work, research on all, which we're going to learn all about today, teaching mindfulness and leading awe-inspiring retreats around the world. Today, you're going to hear about the concept of microdosing mindfulness, which is perfect for anybody listening who finds mindfulness really challenging or finds that when they try to practice mindfulness, they struggle with a lot of intrusive thoughts. They find long meditations sometimes painful or even impossible. All these things are going to be brought into a really practical realm today, which I think is perfect in light of us kicking off a new year, setting some new intentions and goals with our mindfulness practice and connection to ourselves. So with all of that in mind, will you welcome me in joining Michael Amsa to the Balance Theory podcast? Michael, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Erica, for that really nice introduction. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to get to know you and to get to meet all of your listeners. Thank you so much. Absolutely. No, thank you. I'm really excited to have a chat. I think, um, as I mentioned, it's really timely in light of us starting, kickstarting a new year. A lot of the listeners will have just set their goals and resolutions and set their intentions for the new year. And just being a listener of the show, I know that being mindful and, and having a really strong connection to themselves is something that is a priority, but it's sometimes a little bit challenging when we consider the nuances or the realities of day-to-day life. So I'm really excited to learn about your technique and practice of all that you've been researching, developed, and that's wrapped up in your book as well. But I just want to take it back to the start of COVID. I know that you were involved in uh, some some trials, some studies that kind of led you to realize the power of all. So can you t- take us through what those studies were and what they realized? Sure. I'd love to share with you about our research that we've been doing at UC Berkeley. So my, my co-author, Jake Eagle, is a psychotherapist, and he and I together came up with this idea of the awe method, and it ties into the concept of microdosing mindfulness. And a little bit of the background is back in 2018, um, Jake was teaching a course. He has been leading a spiritual community called Live Conscious for a number of years. And he was teaching an online course and he was teaching the students to do a 10 minute meditation a day. But people were struggling with being able to even find 10 minutes a day to meditate. As you were talking about in the introduction, how in the new year, we set new goals and we want to begin to develop a new commitment to a mindfulness practice. And as I'm sure you can relate as well as myself as a long-term meditator, I, I've i never met those goals of keeping a practice going all year round. You know, it's so hard. Life gets busy and our practice slips away. And then we're really hard on ourselves and we beat ourselves up. And so we came up with this idea, Jake and I, around of if we could create um, a micro meditation or a micro practice, what would that be? And I came up with this idea of calling it microdosing mindfulness. Um, The idea of having small doses of mindfulness throughout the day that would hopefully accumulate with benefits that would be equal or greater to a more regular mindfulness practice. So Jake lives in Hawaii 
And I flew out there. And in 2019, before the pandemic came about, we started practicing and experiencing different mindfulness, brief mindfulness practices to experience uh, what we were hoping to elicit um, and teach other people. And it was actually a moment when I was making pancakes for Jake and Hannah at their house, when I was slowing down and being very present and I had poured the batter and I watched the batter turn from a liquid and slowly it became a solid pancake and, you know, in a few minutes. And I don't know about you, but I had never in my life and all the years I've made pancakes for my child and for myself and other people, I've never actually watched a pancake cook from start to finish. I've always been busy doing other stuff, you know, getting sausage going, making orange juice or whatever. And multitasking. So, <laughs> multitasking, exactly. And I had this really profound moment of awe. My whole body woke up and I kind of had these tingles and I was like, wow, this is it. This is what this micro meditation practice is. It's about finding moments of awe in the ordinary. And so from that, Jake and I came up with this, um, what we call the awe method. We use the word awe, A-W-E. It's an acronym that is this five to 15 second mindfulness practice that takes us out of our multitasking regular unaware and unconscious life into a brief moment of awakened presence and consciousness to a higher level of consciousness that literally takes five to 15 seconds to do. We both did pilots. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is profound. Um, We both did some pilot studies. He, he applied the method to a group of his clients and I led a group of my chronic pain patients through a test study and our results were off the chart. We're like, wow, this is just too good to be true. Sorry to interrupt. What were you guys measuring from like the beginning to the end? What kind of gave you the um, the evidence that there was a profound difference in just this micro dosing of mindfulness? Yeah. So we, we taught a brief 21 uh, day program where we taught this technique um, with weekly classes in between. Um, so there were a total of four sessions that lasted about an hour each. And we taught people the awe method and gave them encouragement and um, a little bit more background about the technique that you know we taught them as well. But we measured um, levels of depression, anxiety, looked at uh, levels of chronic health symptoms like chronic pain. Um, we also looked at loneliness. And so we did this pilot study that was a small number of patients. I had 15 of my patients from my clinic. He had about a dozen or two dozen from his practice. And with those initial results, I met up with Dacker Keltner, who's actually the founder and the director of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. And I showed him our initial data and he was just blown away. And we had this nice breakfast together where I showed him the data and he said, you know, this is actually, I believe, the future of mindfulness. He couldn't believe that, you know, his his own researchers hadn't really figured this out yet. All the research prior to ours was looking at what they call extraordinary awe. So you had to go to the Grand Canyon or, you know, put on virtual reality goggles and see yourself flying over Yosemite Valley. Um, You had to go somewhere that you weren't really at, that you can't be at day to day. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem with basing the whole practice on extraordinary awe because we all can't, have extraordinary awe every moment of our lives. It's impossible. We have jobs, we have families, 
we have homes <laughs> we were taken care of. And so we came up with this technique of finding par profound, powerful moments of awe in the ordinary that can be done at any time, any place, anywhere. Just what's come to mind for me is uh, that extraordinary or for me resonates with like travel. So when you're traveling and you're seeing so many incredible places and you're seeing beautiful things for the first time that blow you away, you have those moments, but you're right. It's really hard to find a like for like, a match in in day-to-day -day life. And I think there's something really special about, about finding that. So I'm really curious for you to actually share what the all method is. I'm, I'm sure everybody listening is like, this sounds amazing, but what is it? How do I do it? So what actually is the acronym? What does it stand for? And what is the practice? Sure. So I will definitely um, share what the practice is, but I'm going to not actually um, lead the listeners through a practice because I'm a little concerned if people are driving in their car right sure. now. I know that I mostly listen to uh, my podcast while driving. I don't want them to uh, enter a very heightened state of consciousness and then, you know, get in some type of accident, unfortunately. So, but I will explain the practice. And, um, sure. and I will say that in our book, we offer 30 um, extended practices of how to um, apply this, this practice of awe in your life. So there's a, a really wonderful um, collection of them in our book as well. So we use the word awe as the acronym um, for the three steps of the practice. And so A stands for attention. And attention means like to bring your full, undivided, you know, focused attention to something that you appreciate, value, or find amazing. So like in this moment right now, you know, you could be looking around the room you're in, or you can even think about someone in your life that you value or appreciate. And then the next step is to, to wait. So that's the pause. That's where you allow what you've brought your full attention to, to, I, I use the word marinate, to like really let it soak mm -hmm. in and like fill you up. Um, creating some space to just just be in the moment, but space to be in that attention. Yeah, exactly. Space that's not distracted to just be in that full focused attention. And that usually can be just the, the time of one breath cycle. It could be, you know, you, you find that object or the idea, you, you focus, you bring your full attention. There's a pause, a weight of, let's say that inhale, and then you take a longer exhale out. And the long exhale stimulates the vagus nerve. When you have a longer exhale versus an inhale, your vagus nerve is stimulated. And the E also stands for expansion. So you allow that experience of what you focused your attention on to really fill you up. You almost let it get bigger than you. It just sort of bubbles and expands in all of your cells of your body and then you know just sort of explodes out into the universe in some way this is, and fills you up. Yeah. This is incredible because I find um, for me in the, on the podcast, I talk about and I reference a lot this idea of no agenda time and it's about having space through your week, through your day, through your schedule where you have no set intention, no agenda, and you just let yourself be. Now, in the past, I've spoken about this more as like a serious block of time where you can just do any activity you feel like on the day. But what I really appreciate about this method or this technique or approach is that it doesn't have to actually cost you a lot of time to get into that zone, to create that space for yourself. And for me, if I reflect on, say, my morning routine, which is often quite regimented and, and, and fixed, 
I definitely have moments of awe. So for example, for me, and this is like a non-negotiable every morning, the first sip of my coffee is like a full body outer experience. It feels like a hug from the inside out. I'm super present. Like I make sure I'm not like scrolling on my phone when I do it. I just, there's something about that first sip that always just like brings my full focus to like a moment. And and when you're speaking, when you've been explaining this, for me, I feel like that's the closest thing I've got, which is like a short period of time where I'm just fully present in the moment, appreciating it. It's almost like, would you describe, like, how would you say the role of or the idea of gratitude kind of plays into this method? Do you think it's closely linked or it describes, I guess, the experience of it? It's like a moment of gratitude because that's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a personal thing, but that's kind of how I'm feeling or getting as the energy of it as well. Yeah, that's a great question because um, gratitude and it has a similar quality, I think, to an awe moment. Um, I think the difference is with awe. I mean, there's many things that are different about it because if um, in our book, we actually talk about the importance of gratitude. Um, our work is based upon a psychological model that my co-author Jake Eagle and his wife Hannah came up with, and it's been their life's work is studying consciousness and the human potential. Um, and they have this model they call the three levels of consciousness model. And most of the time we live at the sort of base level of consciousness, which is they call safety consciousness. And that's where we are 99% of the time. That's when we're doing all the activities in our life. We're doing, we're working, we're raising our kids, we're making the coffee, but we're not really all that aware or present. And then the next heightened level is what Jake calls heart consciousness. And that's actually the state of gratitude that you're talking about. It's like when you, when I think about someone I'm grateful for that I love, you know, immediately my consciousness changes. I, I feel um, like lighter. I start to slow down with my voice. I'm kind of calmer. And then the next level of consciousness above that is what we call spacious consciousness. And that's where awe lives. And a state of awe is, is without thought. So when you're thinking about gratitude, you have to think about it. You have to say, well, I'm grateful for this, or I'm, I'm feeling mm-hmm. appreciative of that. But you have to prompt is, yourself. You have to prompt yourself, right. Awe is um, without words. It's fully spacious. It's timeless. It's what I think is what the Buddha was talking about when he talks about a state of nirvana. It's that timeless, effortless, abundant, spacious state where our thoughts stop. And we're just fully present and in in awe of all the beauty of life around us. I really liked what you shared about the morning coffee because I actually have this a very similar routine. And this is what's what's special is that most people say like, okay, well, I've done this the day before and my coffee still tastes the same and there's nothing different about it. And, you know, coffee day, day in and day out becomes ordinary. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you buy a different type of bean and you have a whole new flavor experience, but otherwise it's a pretty ordinary experience. And what's beautiful about this awe practice for me, very similar to you, is I also have that first sip and I don't have my phone on and I'm fully present to the whole process of making the coffee. You know, I smell it when I get out of the bag and just like breathe all in the aroma Mm -hmm. and the whole experience of doing my French press pushing it down and then putting the cream in and just looking at the colors and how it swirls and that first taste. And it, I mean, I can have 10 moments of awe, you know, in the process of two minutes making a cup of coffee. Picture this. 
It's Monday morning. You're waking up feeling refreshed from your weekend and energetic for the busy day ahead. You have things you've already mentally noted you want to achieve, but then it happens. You log on and your attention is distracted and taken by your flooded Outlook inbox, your scheduled meetings and other people's urgent requests. And there it goes. Another day passes where you spent time doing stuff, but didn't really feel like you achieved much at all. If productivity and efficiency is a goal of yours in 2023, I've got your answer. Sunsama is an online daily planner made for focus and intention. It integrates with all the apps you use every day for work, like Outlook, Slack, Gmail, and more, making everything accessible and integrated so it's manageable in one place. You guys know that I'm Time Blocking's number one fan, and this is super easy to do on the app. You just have to log in and input the tasks you want to do in the morning and how long they'll take, and your day is mapped out for you. It has countdowns and reminders to keep you on track, and my absolute favorite feature is the shutdown nudge, which you set for when you would like to finish the day so that you can keep balance as a priority as well. Go to sinsama.com slash a slash Erica, that's Erica with a K, and you can access all of this for free for the first two weeks, and you don't even have to put your credit card details in. That's sinsama.com slash a slash Erica. Now let's get back to the episode. So you did mention one thing that I have a question on. You said that the difference between, and thank you for kind of explaining the different levels of awareness. And you, you were kind of saying how gratitude is this mid ground or like the, the second tier, shall we say. And then you have spatial awareness on top of that. The key difference from what I'm understanding being you kind of have to prompt with thought gratitude, whereas a state of all is, uh, is, is thoughtless, right? How do we Correct. actually... Because obviously there's a, for a lot of the listeners, this is going to be a new concept, the idea of microdosing mindfulness. So to actually begin to do that in their morning routines, throughout their day, to actually be conscious and do it, I would say probably needs a thought prompter to get going, to make it a habit. Or am I incorrect in saying that? Is there a way to start embracing all without making it like a conscious effort? Like how do we actually integrate that into our day-to-day life? Because I think a lot of people listening will be like, that sounds amazing. I'd love to have a space of time with no thought. But how do I actually do that without thinking about it? Or how do I actually start doing that and then get to a place where I have no thought? Like what's the onboarding process? I suppose that's my corporate hat talking. But what's the, how do we actually start to embed this into our routines from not knowing about it at all? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll tell you um, a few things that we've learned from our research. So um, I didn't have actually have a chance to share about this um, earlier, but we um, tested the awe method when COVID first hit um, with about 300 nurses and doctors on the front lines that were depressed and stressed and feeling lonely and burning out. And we also had about 400 primary care patients and another cohort um, that we studied the same type of emotional and physical symptoms on. So we have studied this on hundreds and hundreds of people, and we know that this technique works. And in our program, we we teach people a 21-day course. And, um, you know, in the future, we're going to be offering this also on our website, the, the exact course that we taught um, in our study. And we ask people just to practice the awe method three times a day. So we're saying, you know, do this 15-second practice three times a day. So in total, it's less than a minute a day. Mm. And over time, what becomes at first this temporary state, our goal is to develop a trait 
a trade is something that becomes more natural without effort, and that just becomes a part of our our wiring, so to speak. And so what we found is it takes about a 21 day practice of like really focused um, with intention to build up enough of the awe muscle. We call it an awe muscle um, mm -hmm. to the point then you have spontaneous awe where it really mm -hmm. becomes more effortless and accessing awe doesn't require force. Like regular meditation for me always took a lot of effort and force you know you had to like force yourself to sit in the chair and you had to like be in a certain posture and maybe do some rites and rituals around it but the beautiful thing about this awe method is that you can be in line at the grocery store waiting to check out and have profound moments of awe in that process of just waiting um, to get to the front of the line so um, i hope that answers your question but i i would say at first it does require more of, um, I would say effort, but it requires some commitment on your part to maybe, maybe you set your cell phone alarm for, you know, three times of the day where that's like your moment of awe that you have at that, at that time throughout the day. But over time, what happens is, and we saw this in our research and we've proven this, is that the more times throughout the day you dose awe, the more benefit you get. Mm. And we saw incredible results about 30% reduction in depression and anxiety rates um, of people that were in our study within 21 days. I mean, the, the outcomes incredible. that we saw were just as equal to taking serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac um, in terms of people's efficacy with this technique, in terms of improving their mental health and their physical health as well. Yeah, wow, that is incredibly profound. And like any habit, I suppose, especially if we're talking about a habit that we want to be an inherent part of our nature or of our day-to-day -day life, it's going to take some time for it to feel natural from it just being introduced. And so what I was thinking aside from even having the alarms is to just for everybody listening who's like, wow, this sounds incredible, I want to try it out, but I don't want to forget to do it, I would actually just think about three anchors throughout your day, potentially one in the morning in your morning routine. So for me, it's when I order my coffee and I get it, that's my first sip. Maybe the second one is when you pause to have a break for lunch and it's just a little pause before you start eating your lunch. It's that mindful, you know, spatial awareness creating an all moment. And then maybe it's just before you go to bed or before you have a shower at the end of the night, just have a think about maybe three actual habits or things you already do. So this is in the realm of habit stacking. So we want to stack a new habit on top of a habit that we already do. So it becomes easier to integrate. It doesn't feel like an added effort. Um, and that way you can actually start to get the all moments throughout the day. And then as you said, from your studies at least for 21 days and then it sort of becomes this natural process and i think that's a really beautiful place to get to when you can just be in a moment and you naturally have this it's almost like just this blissful realization of oh, i'm in this moment it's just really nice just it's like the moment's talking to you just being like you're here i don't know that's kind of how i've can describe it like the more conscious i'm becoming i think i've almost um, inherently done a version of all, not, not to this degree of specificity. And I, I'm really excited to try it out in my day-to-day -day life. But I think just from being aware and through my meditation practice, you do have elements of that throughout your day naturally. And I think it's a really nice place to be in when it's not forced and it just feels like a natural extension of 
kind of your state of being. But I'm curious to know from um, the science side, what's actually happening on a cellular level when we're in those moments of awe? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll focus on um, maybe five main areas that we know from not just our research, but other people's research. Uh, most of it's also been done right. at UC Berkeley, which is sort of the, the center of the universe when it comes to the emotion of awe. Um, a lot of this is occurring on a neurophysiological level. So we know that um, awe increases vagal tone. So the vagal tone is involved with, with cultivating the parasympathetic state that kind of rests and digests the state of calmness and an ease. Um, and in that space is where our nervous system can cultivate more profound healing and where we feel safe. Uh, we also know that um, that comes along with the decrease, uh, sorry, with increased vagal tone is a decrease in the sympathetic nervous system. So those mm -hmm. are, they sort of have a balanced relationship with each other. And so with uh, more of that, um, vagal tone, we see a decrease of the sympathetic drive. There's also uh, increased release of oxytocin. So that is the trusting and bonding hormone. Um, studies have been done that looked at um, when people felt, um, when experienced uh, awe through kind acts, they um, had higher levels of oxytocin release in their blood. There's also, which was, we talk about this, we basically have a whole chapter in our book about this, about how awe is associated with decreases of inflammation in the body, which inflammation is a big uh, culprit when it comes to a lot of chronic illness like diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And so it lowers um, the big bad boy. They call it interleukin-6. It's one of the inflammatory cytokines, which is the master cytokine that creates a lot of havoc in terms of the balance of um, different factors in our body that uh, support healing and repair of the body um, versus those that are causing inflammation and damage to cells on a um, microscope, you know, intracellular level. And then finally, we know um, through brain scans that uh, the experience of awe um, reduces activation of what's called the default mode network. And that's the, the ruminating monkey mind um, that mm -hmm. when we're not really conscious, it's just kind of running the show all the time. And that part of the brain quiets down um, when we have moments of awe. That's really incredible because I know a lot of people listening, even for myself at times, it almost feels like a beast in our mind we can't tame and that we just can't get a handle of the thoughts, just keep firing and it's like you can't get them to stop. So to know that with a little bit of discipline and, and just creating small moments that take no more than a minute a day, you could eventually get to a place where that is decrease is I think a really exciting prospect for a lot of people. And, and just a final question before we wrap up this incredible chat today, a lot of people listening just might be curious as to know how do they actually know when they're experiencing or I know you beautifully described your experience with the pancakes and how you were just present and had that space but is there any other way you would describe or words you would use for people to really know that they've reached that moment? Is it a feeling? Is it a knowing? Is it an emotion? How would you kind of describe that for people to know that they've actually hit that moment? That's a really great question. And what we teach about in our program is that awe happens on a spectrum. So it, it goes from the very subtle sublime where you just have 
you might notice just a, a sense of um, light getting brighter or sounds are richer, or you might feel a little tingle in your body, or you feel a little bit of a heightened awareness. I mean, that's a, that's a very subtle moment of awe. Um, all the way through the spectrum as it gets greater and greater, the highest level is what we call orgasmic, right? And that's where your whole body tingles and you're like, start crying because the awe is just so profound. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't happen on that orgasmic level for me um, on a daily basis. I, mean, I might get those orgasms. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, you know, I had one this morning. We're right now on vacation in Kauai, and my family, we're all big surfers. So I'm out there with my spouse and the kids, and we're, like, catching waves, and this rainbows are out, and sea turtles are there, and I'm just like, I can't believe this. This is, like, so, like, out of control amazing. Um, and my whole body's tingling with, with joy and excitement. You know, that's, that's, that's not what happens to me necessarily on a daily basis. Um, yeah. I'd say that it's more that, that subtle awe that um, is, is probably where we're going to experience the, the routine daily moments. Um, and over time, what I've noticed is that there's sort of an amplitude that increases. We know this from our research at UC Berkeley that the more times you microdose awe, that the, the more benefit, it's a cumulative effect. It just adds and adds and the, there's more reward. So I would in, just encourage, you know, people that are just starting the practice to really give it a 21 day commitment. Mm -hmm. And um, you can go to our website. We have practices on there. We have um, uh, audio recordings that you can listen to, to inspire you as well. Um, and I'll share, I'll share one last thing that I think is really helpful for cultivating an awe practice is sharing your awe with other people. When you share an awe experience with someone, you give them the gift of awe. You know, if, if I, if I, when I told you my story just now, you probably felt a little bit of that tingling and that joy as well. So awe begets more awe. And the more awe that we, we share with others, um, you know, we see this sort of as the butterfly effect. I mean, that's, that's where Jake and I, my co-author, our real passion and our goal is that we believe that this work that we are studying, and we're doing even more studies, which we're really excited about. I mean, this is just the beginning, but we believe that this is one of the big solutions to what is plaguing our planet on many levels right now, because we have lost our connection to awe and our modern day mm. culture with all of our devices, with being connected to technology all the time, with overworking ourselves, with really de depleting ourselves and not giving ourselves the, the gift of presence and of awe it's created, you know, havoc in our political systems and our global systems and the way we spend our economies and our money. There's so much out there in the awe research. I, you know, I can't even touch on it right now because I'm so excited about it, but <laughs> I believe that this work is crucial towards really healing the planet. You know, how can you be in awe of the natural world and appreciate the beauty of our planet and then destroy it? Like you can't. You know, you mm -hmm. can't love something and destroy it to smithereens. Like, you just can't do that. You know, how how can you be in awe of other people and appreciate their beauty and the diversity of humanity on this planet and then go kill someone just because they have a different concept of God or their skin is a different color? Like, you can't because when you're in awe, 
you experienced, you know, deep love and appreciation for the diversity of all life on this planet. So yeah. we, we're, we're really excited about how this work will spread and um, bring a, a new level of consciousness to humanity, um, to this planet. Yeah, I think the work is beautiful. I think your message is beautiful. So I'm really grateful to have had you on to share it today. And I just wanted to add on, on you know, you look at it, you can look at it as a butterfly and ripple effect on a global level from a person to person level, but even us within ourselves, I think just in the busyness of day-to-day life in the monotony that often comes with our routines, bringing back that spark of our love and appreciation for our own life, I think already in and of itself, if every person had that experience, would just project outwardly in such a profound way. And I think that the prospect of being able to do this in a microdose type format where a lot of people find sitting down, I mean, I'm, I, I still see you know, I still love my meditation practice and it's still something I'll continue and do. But as you mentioned very early on in the episode, it's one of those things that sometimes you fall out of practice with, you can't commit to all the time, things pop up. But this practice of awe is something that you almost can't not do. Like you almost have no excuse not to do it, especially once it becomes that second nature in your day-to-day flow. So I think it's a uh, a practice for 2023 that people should seriously, seriously consider sticking to. I will pop a link to your website with all those amazing resources in the show notes below. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. And um, I'm really excited to see where the research goes in the future and what we continue to learn about moments of awe, because as you said, we're just scratching the surface and the surface looks pretty damn good. So really excited. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very grateful to have had you on today. Thank you, Erica. It's really an honor to be here. I'm pleasure to meet you and to meet your community. And I hope that we get to keep in touch and um, maybe one day I'll make it to where you're living and I'll get to share a moment of awe together out there in the Middle East. That would be incredible. And um, yeah, I'd love to have you even back on the show in a couple months time when new research comes out and we can continue to deliver the message of all far and wide. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you for all the work you're doing in the world as well. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Likewise, thank you. Hey, welcome to the Next Wave podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of lore.com. We want to bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're going to equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. 